This is the Create Love, Create Freedom podcast. My name is Allison Fisher, and on today's episode, we are going to be talking about avoidant attachment and dating, and we are going to specifically look at um, when an avoidant will pair with insecure attachment styles. So other insecurely attached people. We're going to particularly look at the avoidant anxious pairing, and we're also going to look at the avoidant avoidant pairing. So in relationships, um, as people, we really love relationships that confirm our insecurities. So if you really kind of pay close attention to the romantic relationships of your friends and family, you'll really see very clear patterns. You'll notice that security um, stays in love with security and insecurity stays in love with insecurity. Even though those insecurities show up differently, they may have some different kind of nuances until, of course, a person begins their self-healing work. Then this dynamic can change where insecurity uh, stays in love with insecurity. So specific relationships really evoke specific reactions within us. And these reactions are really then interpreted by us to confirm our internal beliefs about ourselves and others. So when we hold these kinds of deep beliefs about ourselves, we look for self-fulfilling prophecies. We look for, you know, we have a lot of self-sabotaging behaviors in order to really get the result that we want, which is really based on the story that we tell ourselves about us, but also the stories that have been created, um, you know, throughout our childhoods, right? And also the relationships that we saw throughout our childhoods. And so in a relationship, people with you know, negative attachment beliefs will reject and push their partner, uh, push away their partner who really sees them positively in order to really kind of sabotage that view until the point that this partner perceives them the way that they see themselves. And when dating people with uh, a negative self view often choose partners who offer negative evaluations to confirm those self-views. Um, and so the pathologies of these interactions then really support their self-beliefs. Um, I know for myself, this was uh, really true, you know, in my 20s and in my early 30s until I began really kind of working through a lot of my own stories and wounds and trauma and the things, the the internal dialogue, the things that I said about myself. I was specifically attracted to men who helped reinforce that belief. And it's only through healing what I believe and perceive about myself that has really allowed me to attract different men, men who are secure um, 
or who have become securely attached. It uh, doesn't mean that, you know, even men who are securely attached and, and, you know, were raised in those kinds of homes, it doesn't mean that they don't have triggers. It doesn't mean that they don't have baggage. But when they are, one of the biggest differences is that I've noticed that when they're really confronted with that, they can see the story that they hold. Um, it took a lot more work for myself as someone who was anxiously attached. And I have also found um, the the people that I've worked with that are avoidantly attached and also have disorganized attachment. It, it's a lot harder for the insecurely attached to really take a look at their stories, um, to see where the insecurities are, um, where it really supports their self-beliefs. And so people, it's important to also know that people can also be attracted to those with a common level of woundedness for the reason we really sense we will be understood by them. And again, this is another kind of area that you, when you're wounded, when you have had a lot of insecurities, I have found that I'm much more deeply compassionate to other people who maybe are struggling or have some other, you know, kinds of frustrations or issues within their lives. And yet at the same time, I think it's also you know, really important to um, understand that we can still be loved and understood, even as we heal a lot of those wounds. Um, And, you know, we all want to be loved and understood. But without being able to love ourselves, we can abandon ourselves through repressing our own feelings avoiding responsibility for our feelings and pulling on others to really provide us with attention, um, validation, to feel useful. And we can also turn to, you know, certain kinds of controlling behaviors to fill the emptiness within that really results from our own self-abandonment. When we address, I, I found personally in my own life, the more I have addressed those abandonment wounds and yes, read about it and studied it, but also become aware when in, you know, real time in that, in that moment where I'm feeling triggered or I'm feeling abandoned, being able to look at my own behavior, dig a little deeper into my own feelings, but also to really look at some of the relationships that I'm, I was in. And so for me in particular, I kind of felt constantly abandoned in a lot of small ways um, by a man who was avoidantly attached. And so I really had to re-examine that relationship. Is he moving forward with his own life? Um, Is he working on healing his wounds? Oh, no, he's not. Okay, so that also means that I then need to determine whether or not this is a good relationship for me to be in or not. And so uh, because we're specifically talking about avoidance um, in this episode, for avoidance, attending to someone else's needs is very exhausting for them. They feel very depleted. 
they are attracted to the insecure attachment patterns of someone else because they sense it will allow them more freedom to go at their own pace, uh, mostly in the relationship, sometimes in life, but in particularly in the relationship. So in other words, they tend to feel comfortable and have mutual attraction with people who also don't believe they deserve their needs um, should be fully recognized, should be fully met in the relationship. Um, and so the, the partner, um, will sense at least initially that the avoidant will not provide for them. Um, and so their partner is, you know, a lot of times less likely to voice, uh, their needs in the relationship. And and they're also less likely for the avoidant to then feel engulfed in the relationship. Um, because subconsciously avoidance are also looking for people with whom they can be very confident, um, be very confident with, it will be kind of, at least for me in my relationship, it was, you know, I thought that he was extremely confident and I thought that he was uh, very secure in who he was. And it took time to kind of peel back those layers it also took me quite a bit of time because initially we were just friends. And so, you know, we, um, we've been friends for many, many years, but when we were actually in the relationship together, when he said, you know, I want a relationship with you. Um, and then he kept not showing up for it. Um, his confidence began to look quite a bit different. And that was kind of one of the indicators that, hold on a minute here. Is this authentic confidence or, or are there some other things below the surface? You know, you're telling me that I am essentially too sensitive or, um, that you won't provide for my needs, uh, simple, uh, needs that it's taken me a long time to even ask for those needs to be met. And, and so, you know, that kind of confidence, um, that kind of self, um, that kind of bravado, right, was really kind of covering these deep kind of ab- abandonment uh, wounds. And so an avoidant really may learn to get their needs met um, through non-demanding partners uh, who really fail to require real um, reciprocity, um, intimacy, conflict resolution, and positive reinforcement in the relationship. And so they will pursue, um, you know, so the, they will give without being asked, the partner will give without being asked. And the avoidant can receive love from these people without having to give too much back or show too much of themselves, accepting attention without providing emotional security. And um, this is often a very classic and a long-standing pairing of the anxious avoidant relationship or the anxious avoidant trap. 
And again, when I had first met the avoidant that I was in a relationship with, um, you know, I was, you know, it was six, six, seven years before, and I was still very anxious. And so we would talk only, you know, every once in a while, that kind of thing. And we would both kind of get our needs met, but it was always at a distance. But from my point of view, from my perspective as being the anxious person, I never wanted to ask for too much. I always felt like I was too much or not enough in certain other areas. Um, yet when we were in the relationship about a year ago, um, he was very happy to receive love, affection, um, attention, but it was always over the phone. It was always in the manner he wanted to receive it. Um, he would make time for me, but I was always the last person on the list. I was never very important to him. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the things that we talked about on this um, podcast a few episodes ago was the avoidance willingness to be a lot closer to their friends than even their romantic partners. A uh, Part of it is, again, that fear of abandonment. The partner can leave at any time. The friendship, they can kind of keep going with this kind of facade, right? Um, this kind of false front, this false um, confidence and whatnot. And so he was very willing to accept love and really appreciated it, uh, yet was very unwilling to give it. So let's explore the avoidant anxious pairing. Um, I think subconsciously, an avoidant feels reassured and in control by sensing the anxiously attached person is really unlikely to leave them even if they give very little to the relationship. And again, they would be right. Um, when I was in much more of the depths of my anxious attachment, I didn't want to do anything that made the avoidant partner or, or the avoidant friend. And in, in this case, um, I didn't want to do anything that asked too much of him. So I wasn't getting my needs met. Um, but then the more that I worked on my own self-healing, uh, we eventually got into a relationship many years later. And uh, again, because we lived so far apart, you know, it was um, probably about 2000 miles apart. Um, I was also able to continue to do my self-healing. And so I, I began to be frustrated with the relationship. And I was interested in leaving the relationship throughout that year that we were dating, partly because my needs weren't getting met, but I was also moving away from being anxiously attached. Certainly things would trigger me, especially the, um, you know, months and months apart. We only uh, got together uh, twice, uh, which was once every six months, because that's what fit for um, the avoidant man's um, schedule that I was with. And, you know, because I had been working on becoming more securely attached, two months turned into three. Eh, okay. But four turned into five and five turned into six. And I felt myself becoming more and more anxious. Like we haven't seen each other. I don't, I, I, I'm always compartmentalized in your life. And so I, I kept feeling this need to really walk away from the relationship. 
Um, And so if you are someone who was anxiously attached, just know that that also could mean that you're on the path to healing. Um, But for anxiously attached individuals, they really carry their own childhood wounds, uh, just like the avoidantly attached. And often they are people who tend to act out, um, maybe be a little bit manipulating, criticizing, uh, sulking, um, becoming demanding or controlling, um, feeling like they kind of need to cling to somebody else. Uh, yet at the same time, they can also push people away a little bit too. Um, but what's interesting to me, um, about myself when I was more anxiously attached, uh, but also those who are anxiously attached, um, they tend to be people who will exist unhappily in a relationship and put up with a lot before choosing abandonment, before choosing to leave, because it does feel like abandonment. And that was one of the things for me in, in my relationship when I ended it about a year ago, I didn't want to, I wanted to see the, the, um, my partner, um, you know, the anxious or the avoidant person, the avoidant man, I really wanted to see him work on some things, but you know, I, I kind of felt like I was abandoning him to some degree. Um, but it also felt like he was kind of constantly pushing me towards that, keeping me at arm's length, uh, doing those kinds of things where my only option, you know, I, I wasn't getting my needs met. I was healing. And guess what? The only option for me was to, was to put myself first. And I think one of the things about people who are avoidant is they look for anxiously attached people because they know they won't put their needs first. Um, they know that they will put their partner's needs first. And so for the anxious person, um, they didn't receive consistency from their caregivers or at least one of their caregivers. And so the anxiously attached partner really expects to have to work for love. So does the avoidant partner, but they come at it from different angles. And so the anxious person really has a lot of trouble being single. Um, and they often can be rarely out of relationships. Um, or in particularly in my case, it was a lot of unrequited love. So, you know, creating kind of a a fantasy environment in my mind sometimes uh, with somebody else. So it still kind of felt like a relationship. Um, But, you know, they, those who are anxiously attached are really very good at picking partners who won't love them back. And so they can really, um, succumb or submit themselves to unhealthy or abusive relationships. And the anxiety of insecure attachment is really enlivening and familiar to the anxiously attached, though it's also uncomfortable and makes them more anxious. So again, it's this kind of, um, kind of hamster wheel effect. It validates their abandonment fears about relationships and beliefs about not being enough, not being lovable, um, or um, not being securely loved. 
And so therefore, little genuine intimacy is really achieved. So avoidance know that they have to trigger their partner's fear and the reconciliation is threatened to leave. Um, so again, they, they trigger their partner's fear and reconciliation. And then that, that kind of abandonment threat to leave is really triggered. So subconsciously avoidance really believe that being in control in this way, um, in a way they could perhaps not be if they were with a secure partner will really allow them to escape being drained, engulfed, and controlled. And at a deeper level to the avoidant um, being left themselves, because the avoidant partner also fears abandonment. They also don't want their partner to leave them. Um, and so they will often do the leaving first, um, unless their partner is securely attached or if their partner is becoming more securely attached. And so they really use the insecurity of anxious behaviors to validate their deeply held beliefs about how draining relationships are and the need for independence and to really avoid the demand of a deeper connection. So again, they foster the anxiousness within the person. Um, in my case, a lot of it was he would say a lot of the things that looked like we were moving our future forward, but he was, well, he would always keep me at arm's length. He would say he missed me and he, and he wanted to get together with me, but he would never create a plan. Um, and so again, by keeping me at arm's length, by keeping physical, emotional, um, um, intimate, distance between us. He felt very much more in control because he was also triggering that anxiety. So, uh, you know, and again, um, then really kind of seeing me to some extent as being the person who, you know, was really kind of draining. And so, um, you know, was asking for general needs to be met and so then he would, again, hold me at arm's length even more so, um, feeling that would really in, enforce um, his need for independence and really uh, avoid my needs and sometimes my demands for deeper connection. So for an avoidant, this relationship both effectively satisfies their internal need for control so after the trauma of really feeling out of control um, around their caregivers in childhood, and it really confirms their worldview, their stories, their internal dialogue. And so um, consciously, avoidance really fear intimacy, but unconsciously they fear abandonment, the opposite of the anxiously attached. So the anxiously attached consciously fears abandonment, but unconsciously fears intimacy. So that's, it's interesting that it's flip-flopped. They're, they're concerned about the same things. 
one is just conscious and one is not. Um, this is also one of the ways that both the anxious and the avoidant person heal is by looking at their fears of intimacy, their fear of abandonment and working on healing those kinds of wounds. And so the anxiously attached really fear abandonment and believe um, that they seek true intimacy unconsciously, like they're really um, attracted to avoidance because like them, um, they're not used to that. They're not used to intimacy. They're not used to closeness. And so what happens between the anxious and the avoidant is that their relationship can really produce a lasting dysfunctional equilibrium um, as they fall into a pattern of, you know, one person chasing, one person being chased, that kind of push-pull dynamic, um, which are roles both of these types need in order to feel comfortable with intimacy. Um, So in a push-pull cycle with each other is triggering like the other's attachment wounds. And so for me personally, it was only until I really realized that all, so here's another caveat in the previous relationship that I had to this one, it was with a person who was, who had disorganized attachment, which is a form of um, avoidant attachment. Um, But that relationship was so bad when I got into this next relationship with an avoidant man, it just didn't feel as bad. Like the ups and downs weren't as high, but eventually I began to see this kind of dysfunction. It was kind of like low grade inflammation. It was always there. Um, the push pull effect, the, um, the, the chase or be chased wasn't as intense but it was still there. And once I realized that I was like, Oh my goodness, wait a minute. I can't keep doing this. This isn't, this isn't going to stop itself. I am going to have to be the one who, who leaves, who stops this. Um, because again, um, the partner that I was with, he was, uh, deeply avoidant, um, working on certain aspects of himself, but that was really from an entrepreneurial or a business standpoint, not his emotional or psychological health. Um, And I, I realized that because he wasn't working on it, we could never fix that cycle of dysfunction. So unlike those who are securely attached um, in a, an anxious avoidant relationship where one person pursues and one person distances, and then the roles flip. Um, these, the, the avoidant and the anxious person aren't skilled at resolving disagreements. They tend to become defensive and attack or withdraw, escalating conflict. And in fact, with the distancing, chase, conflict, or compulsive behavior um, in a secure relationship, both types would begin to feel depressed and empty uh, due to being used, um, you know, uh, and and kind of going back to their painful early attachment experiences. So the sexual relationship is typically set up primarily to meet the avoidant sexual needs. 
uh, which the anxious partner entertains as a proxy for intimacy. Although with a female avoidant partner, you know, sex might eventually become absent and their partner may become sexually passive. Um, But generally what I also found was that what I thought was going to be this deep intimacy in the sexual experiences with this avoidant man, that the coming closer together, the, again, because I was working on healing my anxious attachment, um, I was really left felt, I really left those experiences feeling somewhat empty, but like, wait a minute, we do have this good chemistry, this good connection, but, but it wasn't fulfilled in those deeper bonding, spiritual, intimate, um, moments. So it it did leave me feeling fairly depleted. Wait, what's going on here? Now it wasn't as bad as previous, you know, my previous relationship. Um, that experience was a very draining and depleting. Um, but that is actually another way for the anxiously attached partner to kind of realize that their relationship might be fairly imbalanced because the sexual relationship is really set up to meet the avoidant sexual needs. Um, the the mental and the emotional distance is still there. So looking at some of the research, um, researchers really found that avoidant individuals actually prefer anxiously attached people above all others and vice versa. Um, anxiously attached people also prefer avoidance. And this is really because each you know, the, the, the avoidant person and the anxious person, um, really reaffirm the other's beliefs about themselves and about relationships. So the only way that you either change the cycle and this pattern of who you're attracted to, um, or, you know, um, change yourself and, and work through your attachment wounding is really by, looking at your beliefs, the beliefs you hold about yourself and the beliefs that you hold about relationships. So the avoidance defensive self-protection and uh, self-defensive self-perception that they're really strong and independent is confirmed. Um, As is the belief that others want to pull them into closeness, um, into, excuse me, more closeness than they're really comfortable with. And the anxious types find that their perceptions of wanting to be closer than their partner, uh, than what their partner can provide, is confirmed. And this is, of course, largely um, an illusion. Um, If they truly receive the closeness um, that they believe that they so deeply desire, they really might not want it. Um, Because although we say one person is anxious and one person is avoidant, both have each of those tendencies. Again, the the person being chased is not always the avoidant person. 
the avoidant person can also chase the anxious person to kind of keep the dysfunctional dynamic going. And so for the anxious person, you know, um, you know, if they received uh, the closeness um, that they believe they so deeply desire, they really um, might not want it. As is their anticipation of ultimately being let down by a significant other, by an intimate partner. Because again, in childhood, they were let down. And so while they do have a core wound of being too much, avoidance have a core wound of being not enough. So in a way, each style is really drawn to reenact a familiar script over and over again. And this kind of complementary dysfunction can lead to stable relationships uh, or a stable relationship, but one where both partners stay in their insecure attachment styles. So they have to continue playing this role uh, with the with the anxious person really battling for every scrap of attention and the avoidant um, partner um, only giving enough attention or love to confirm um, their view of uh, attachment as a necessary evil. So unconsciously really seeking to repair their core wound the anxiously attached person might be attracted to the opportunity to prove to an abandoning oriented uh, person, like the avoidant person, um, that they are worthy of not being abandoned. And this is really a partial response of intermittent reinforcement um, of what they remember from their caregivers, most typically their father. Um, in my case, funny enough, it was my mother. And the familiarity of this yearning is itself attractive. But avoidance can so rarely provide validation that the anxious partner becomes painfully locked into seeking validation um, that they'll never fully receive. Pursuers may confuse their longing and anxiety for love rather than realizing it's their partner's unavailability that is the problem. It's not themselves or anything they did or could do uh, to try to change that. But they hang in and they really try harder instead of often facing the truth and cutting their losses. And avoidance really need someone pursuing them to sustain their own emotional needs that they largely disown such as support, safe attachment, validation, connectedness, and which wouldn't be met by any other, uh, which wouldn't be uh, met by an avoidant partner if the avoidant was with an avoidant partner. And so they can feel safe that they can receive validation while not showing too much of themselves. But their partner, uh, the, the anxious partner's pursuit, only encourages them to push away further, bringing out yet another um, avoidant behavior or more avoidant behaviors. And so, again, a lot of couples can really get locked into this pattern, largely because they see the other as the cause 
rather than a pattern between them that simply needs addressing and can potentially be um, a a pattern that they can eventually kind of step away from um, while within the relationship by really kind of fully reconsidering what is happening and better provide for each other's needs. And, And this was something really for me in my relationship was once I began to see it as a pattern rather than this person as the cause. And when I really took responsibility for healing me um, and then kind of coming back to the relationship and saying, Hey, I I see some of these issues. Um, I see some of these things. Can we work on these things? Um, You know, then I was able to really change myself. And what I found is that the less anxious I became, the more I was really unattracted to the avoidant partner. Um, This is also a way, uh, an area where I knew I was healing. I knew I was becoming more securely attached because I felt like I really deserved more, not these little breadcrumbs that he would leave not the the closeness and the needing weeks of distance away from me after we had really deepened the relationship. Um, and, you know, when I kind of pointed out these things, he was unwilling to make changes. So then I really had to make changes. So unfortunately, we weren't able to better provide for each other's needs. Um, but you know, uh, we would certainly, you know, ask one another, Hey, like, is there something, is there any way that you can kind of verbalize to me, um, what you need? That was also very difficult for him. I was kind of much more upfront about what I needed or what I didn't. I still had to, of course, work on that, um, as being someone who was anxiously attached, um, particularly in the past, but then it became, as I was healing, as I was becoming more securely attached, realizing that I was asking the wrong person for love. He wasn't at the same place on his healing journey. So a partnership between an avoidant and an anxious person, uh, an anxious partner is really very common and forms a demand withdraw cycle that can lead to stress, Um, also a lot of crazy behavior within yourself and is really predictive of, to some degree, violence. Um, That's very much what the research shows. Now, this doesn't just have to be physical violence. It can be, but it can also be emotional, psychological abuse, um, but also emotional or psychological neglect. Um, and so this persistent bond of the anxious avoidant is really based on the unmet needs of the anxious partner and the willingness of the avoidant partner to accept attention without providing security and results in mutually reinforcing insecurities. Uh, the anxious partner may be afraid of rejection or abandonment with a strong need for love and attention. And when their partner is non-responsive or avoidant, their protest intensifies. Um, there may be difficulties managing anger. Um, 
And again, they may strike out uh, particularly verbally as a means to regain proximity, to regain closeness. And a secure partner is likely to really kind of give up. Whereas, uh, you know, with the, with the avoidant partner, but the anxious partner will really stick with a bad relationship. Um, and so again, this, this really forms, um, a sense of dependency, um, and creates a ton of stress in the relationship and each other's lives. And so while the avoidant person really enjoys the control and confirmation of their beliefs, as well as the ego boosting, um, that, that happens because their partner pushes back, but they still don't give love, um, or very little of it, the anxious partner will stick around, um, you know, uh, in a very unhappy way and will really kind of feed on, on the crumbs of the relationship of the, of what the avoidant partner will, will provide. And so again, real closeness triggers the avoidant, um, the avoidance anxiety and their distancing triggers requests from their increasingly anxious partner. Um, so as you can see, this is a cycle and the only way to really, um, change anything about us, um, again, really starts with our belief system, really starts with what we believe about ourselves. And then it also, um, morphs and moves into really looking at the patterns of our relationships and, seeing in particularly for those who are anxious, knowing what your value is, what your worth is, the more that you continue to work on yourself in that way, the more that you won't put up with um, the kind of crumbs that the avoidant person will leave in the relationship. So let's talk about the avoidant avoidant pairing. So on a very unconscious level, to avoid engulfment, the avoidant person ultimately desires a partner who is consistently present, ideally in another space, right? But rarely interacting directly with them, except when the that avoidant person instigates it, um, which is really when they can cope. And, um, you know, they kind of want to be with someone who does not really notice or need to fully know. And so, you know, uh, really expose the avoidant partner, um, uh, really expose them and really expresses no great needs or demands. And, Again, I think that this is one of the reasons why avoidance will often, you know, have relationships with someone where they, um, where there's a lot of physical distance, where, um, there is, where, you know, where they live in different cities. Uh, this was very true for my own relationship. Um, and again, the more I healed, the more I, I would wait for my avoidant partner 
at the time to call me. Uh, Sometimes it would be a few days, sometimes it would be a few weeks, because I didn't feel the need anymore to, you know, I wanted to connect with him. But I, I didn't feel the need for clinginess, because again, I was becoming more secure. Um, he enjoyed that I was consistently there, that when he called, I would pick up. Um, I really enjoyed being around him because I could give him some of his own space. Um, you know, I, you know, um, would, you know, leave a little bit. Um, we stayed at hotel rooms, uh, both of the times that we got together, six months apart. Um, you know, we did things together, but we also had some kind of quiet silence. Um, but anytime that we would interact more directly, um, that really caused him, I, I could feel the shift both mentally and emotionally. He would put a lot of distance between us. And, you know, when it comes to insecure pairing, right? Both the, um, in, in this case, we're talking about the anxious avoidant and also the, um, avoidant avoidant pairing. The wished for scenario of the avoidant person is available only in the like domain of one-sided attachment. Um, and again, this is, this is often the parent child relationship, which I find very interesting. So a lot of times what I have found, um, and something I talk a lot about on my, um, Instagram page is that the avoidant partner will often be operating from the distorted masculine perspective. Um, or the distorted feminine, if the person tends, uh, who is avoidant is the female partner. Um, but what I've really noticed from the distorted masculine is needing the control, needing some sort of imbalance, either one person being a lot older and one being a lot younger, um, or financial imbalance. Also long distance relationships, but always needing some sort of kind of control. And needing one, uh, the, the avoidant kind of needing to almost be the parent in the relationship. And so therefore they often tend to go for women who are wounded. And certainly this was the case with myself. Um, I had a lot of mother wounds, um, some father wounds certainly, but what I found was that the the man that I was with, he really appreciated the the maiden archetype within me. Um kind of at a more of an unconscious level. And that was kind of that dependent daughter, the woman who needed to depend on a man. And that dynamic was really kind of that one-sided attachment. Um there were times when I felt loved there were also a lot of times when I felt like I was always having to give to the relationship and he wasn't giving as much. Um, but as I was doing my healing work, it was also kind of nice in some ways because um, I also didn't feel like I was in one of those relationships with uh, more of a wounded man, a wounded masculine partner where 
where I guess I was expected to do all of the heavy lifting. Um, because I've also kind of been in some of those relationships or a combination of both, which was with the, um, the, uh, the previous relationship I had with someone who was, um, you know, had disorganized attachment. So it's not that either relationship couldn't be successful with work, uh, meaning the avoidant anxious, uh, pairing or the avoidant avoidant pairing and without work. Um, other, you know, relationships can be very longstanding, even lifelong, though both partners are not very happy with it. So everyone has a natural style of relating and depending on how strongly each person shows up on the attachment spectrum, certain attachment styles don't really preclude good relationship relationships. It simply means that couples have to take responsibility for how they might trigger each other and for good communication. But couples will really need to each recognize and take responsibility for their own patterns and their own self-abandonment and where it comes from, where the source is in order to be happy. Healthy romantic relationships require internal connection acceptance, and self-esteem, so partners are no longer expected or wish to act as parents in uh, to their partner to fulfill a long unmet need. So essentially, avoidance would prefer things to stay um, kind of always in the courtship phase. Um, I found this very true to be in my relationship. But relationships really must become more intimate. Um, you know, most, most people want to move beyond that. Securely attached people want to move beyond just the courtship phase um, where they really feel both, um, where, where both partners really feel safe to express their needs, to believe uh, those needs deserve to be met and, and will be respected and to rely on each other, or oftentimes the relationships uh, don't survive. So until um, avoidance can really address these unmet needs themselves, rather than looking outside of themselves, and attend to their fears of engulfment and abandonment, they'll really be stuck kind of on, on dating repeat. And so because the more avoidant behaviors show up in the dating process, the more likely that person is to attract other insecure attachment styles of which they're funny enough. There are a greater number of insecure attachment styles in the dating pool because secures tend to stay in relationships. Um, I heard someone uh, say not that long ago, those past 40 who have never been able to get and keep good relationships going likely never will. Unless, of course, they have realized that they need to change and and they do their inner work. They work hard on themselves. Um, again, secure people tend to stay in relationships, so they're not as often in the dating pool. Um, 
And, and so, you know, another thing for the avoidant to do is really to bring insecure attachment out of more secure, better communicating partnerships. So for instance, a man who is an avoidant may be able to successfully uh, shirk a secure woman's, you know, pushes for increased intimacy and to move beyond just the courting phase. After which the secure woman will accept the rejection and move on. But an anxious woman will only become more determined by a man who pushes her away. She'll really resort to calling him for weeks or months on end until he finally caves and commits to her again. This gives the avoidant man the reassurance that he, uh, that his needs can be, um, it really, sorry, I should, let me rephrase that. This really gives the avoidant man the rush, the reassurance he needs that he can behave independently and the anxious partner will really wait for him. Um, in the partnership that I was in, um, at the six month mark, uh, we got together again and he told me, well, I was thinking about ending this relationship because I really don't want to bring you into some of the imperfections in my life. Um, and, you know, maybe we can pick this back up in six months. And I told him, I said, listen, if you walk away from this relationship, that's fine. That's your choice. It will hurt. I won't like it um, to some degree because um, I, I really love you and I, and I miss you and I care about you and I want to create this good partnership together. But if you walk away, then we're done like this. I won't be picking this back up. And what's interesting to me is people who are more securely attached will require more reciprocation of their feelings in order to provide the validation the avoidant requires. And other avoidant partners um, will really struggle to provide validation at all. So if the avoidant is in a relationship with another avoidant, both partners are struggling to provide any validation. So avoidants are also likely to be put off by a secure person's forthright open requests and expectations to meet their needs. And secures, uh, secure partners um, are not likely to hang on in the long term without their needs being met. So before they work on themselves, avoidant types can be so good at putting others off that oftentimes it's only the anxious types who are really willing to stick around and put in the extra effort to get them to open up. Um, keeping kind of that emotional labor um, for keeping the relationship going on their partner's shoulders, on the anxious partner's shoulders. So the less avoidance feel someone needs them, the less potential they feel they have to, you know, kind of have those feelings of guilt, which for them, uh, the feelings of guilt can be very overwhelming. But everyone has needs. Insecure attachment styles simply don't believe they deserve for those needs to be recognized as much. And so they're better at suppressing their needs which just means they come out in more unhealthy ways. And the key to a successful partnership is not to find a partner 
who doesn't express their needs, but for us to work on ourselves, to do our inner work, to do our inner healing, so we can express our own needs. Um, so that we don't feel overwhelmed by the prospect of meeting a partner's needs. And by determining how to set boundaries, um, where we can be comfortable with remaining close. Um, and, and this is one of the reasons why I actually started our Create Love Freedom Members Club. Um, it's a self-guided, uh, self-healing kind of journey. And each month I bring in a new topic. And one of the topics has been healing the inner child. One topic has been, um, you know, looking at uh, boundaries. Um, next month we are going to be looking at the abandonment wound. Um, the next month after that, we're going to look at the fear of intimacy. Uh, that'll be January. And, you know, by looking at these things, um, and in the members club, I do, you know, I have a series of videos for you. And then I also have, um, a workbook so that you can, you can kind of begin to heal these kinds of, of, um, traumas and wounds within yourself. So instead of looking for partnerships with someone who doesn't express their needs, um, you really work on expressing your own needs, not feeling overwhelmed by having to meet a partner's needs and learning how to do it kind of slowly, but surely by really addressing some of these kinds of wounds. So it's also uh, really important um, to look out for adults who, and to pay attention to the fact that um, adults who were routinely overlooked in childhood often have trouble recognizing toxic patterns. And this applies to all insecure uh, styles. And they tend to tolerate stonewalling precisely because it is familiar and to rationalize their partner's behavior, um, thinking they're perhaps you know too stressed to talk things through or um, to blame themselves um, for their partner's behaviors or to really diminish themselves for having needs in the first place. And, uh, you know, if you find yourself in a relationship where there's quite a bit of stonewalling, um, checking out the book by um, doctors John and Julie Gottman, um, you know, on the, um, I believe it's the it's not the seven keys for a successful marriage, uh, but you know, it's, it's really looking at, you know, what, what destroys relationships as well. And certainly one of those things is stonewalling. And this often happens, um, due to our childhoods and our difficulty recognizing our toxic patterns. So, um, again, this is, these are some of the reasons why, People who have avoidant attachment style will look to other avoidants in the relationship, um, why they struggle with um, connecting with people who are more securely attached, and also why they tend to stick it out a lot longer with someone who is um, anxiously attached. And 
you know, for the avoidant avoidant pairing. Um, it's it's a very uncommon pairing because of its inherently insta um, like its instability. So both are very comfortable uh, exercising the balance of power. And it's possible for avoidance to form very superficial uh, functioning relationships with other avoidance. Um, and in the early stages of the re- relationship, both provide the space, the emotional unavailability, and the um, the 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 kind of pursuit the other enjoys. So on the surface, this might look like a really ideal relationship and, and long-term partnership pairing. Um, you know, it's it's comfortably distant. Um, if they can manage to still be reliably interested, it's unburdensome and inattentive to each other's needs. And it really would be something that would satisfy the core needs of um, empowerment, control, privacy, um, and, and really safeguard each other from feelings of uh, engulfment. So it really may appeal to avoidance. Um, on a deep level, we kind of all all have really kind of felt an, an abandonment of either emotional, you know, um, abandonment or physical abandonment. Um, you know, in our childhoods at certain times, even if we are more securely attached, this can often happen. Yet at the same time, it was often much more pronounced for someone who was uh, avoidantly, who attached avoidantly to their parent. But in the end, the avoidant-avoidant partnership is unlikely to certainly require overt affirmations of commitment or really set healthy requirements from each other. And so it doesn't tend to exist on the basis of, you know, they they both tend to find it very difficult to commit to forming an intimate relationship in the first place, uh, really causing it to eventually fade out. And so this can really feel, leave the relationship feeling um, very, very distant. But then again, they're not really getting that deep connection that they really feel like they need. And it's really common for one partner to be more avoidant than the other, which creates the illusion one partner is needier than the other. Um, and then again, this again, really just kind of discourages the partners in the relationship and it continues to lead to, um, one partner pursuing one partner pulling away. And so again, it, it, it also takes on a form of, uh, you know, kind of a toxic cycle and, what I find is that the avoidant 
each avoidant person really needs a different kind of partner to really help them understand who they are, recognize their deep-seated existential loneliness, or to overcome their anxiety about intimate relationships. They need to really be met with um, understanding partners who will make an effort to find out what really makes them tick. Um, and it, it's not to say that it's impossible for two avoidance to create intimacy that sustains a relationship, but without kind of some form of help, the odds are really kind of against it. Um, but then again, when avoidant, when an avoidant partner is connecting with someone who's securely attached or anxiously attached, what often happens though is that either the cycle continues being very unhealthy, that push pull, that chase, um, or the secure partner is there. They show them a lot of the things that um, an avoidant partner needs to understand in order to work on themselves and heal. Um, but then they refuse to. Um, and then the, the, um, the other partner really kind of often tends to pull away. So again, this really means that, you know, until the avoidant partner really, um, addresses their unmet needs, uh, within themselves rather than, uh, you know, kind of deep, deep within their, uh, the underworld of their own psyche, um, rather than really looking outside of themselves, um, and really attend to their fears of engulfment and abandonment, they'll kind of be date, uh, stuck on this kind of uh, repeat dating. Um, yes, maybe with an avoidant partner, but eventually that's not going to feel very good. It's not going to give them that. Um, it's not going to give them that push pull that they're looking for because they're still looking for some sort of closeness so they can pull away from it. But the anxious partner does give that to them. Uh, so as I said before, um, this is really something that, you know, each person, whether they are avoidant or, um, anxiously attached, they've really got to look at the pattern, the patterns that they're creating within their intimate relationships and also, you know, kind of their awareness of, um, their own wounds, uh, so that they can begin to heal. So I hope that this was helpful for you today. As I talked about a little bit ago, um, this is actually one of the reasons why I created the members club was so that, you know, for myself, um, it was all the stuff that I was learning so that I could really heal my anxious or my, um, my anxious attachment, why I was connecting to people who were avoidant and why it wasn't working out. Um, and then to kind of really get in down into the weeds of really healing a lot of the, um, abandonment wounds, the, um, intimacy kind of wounds, um, healing my inner child, reparenting myself, doing these kinds of things so that I could pursue better relationships in the future. So if you are really interested in going on your own self-healing journey, uh, much like I did, um, please check out our members club. Um, it is a monthly subscription. Um, and you can go to createlovefreedom.podia.com and sign up there. Uh, you can sign up by going under the members club tab, 
or if you prefer Instagram, uh, you can check us out at Create Love Freedom on Instagram and click on the link in our bio. And if you click on the link in our bio, you can go directly to um, the Members Club tab and sign up there as well. Um, it's a wonderful community of women who are really, they're really doing their inner work. Um, they're really looking at these topics each month and diving into where they need to kind of continue to heal, um, where they need to, you know, focus a lot of their, their own self-love, um, on themselves so that they can, you know, create the, the relationships that they want so they can step away from the anxious avoidant trap or the avoidant avoidant trap. And, um, instead they can cultivate really deeply meaningful relationships in their life. So thank you so much for being here and thank you for listening. Um, if you have any questions or you want to reach out to me, you can contact me, um, by emailing me. Um, my email address is create love freedom at gmail.com. Uh, if you also have a topic that you'd like me to cover when it comes to the podcast episodes, please do so. Until next time.